I wonder for you who the hardest people to share the gospel with is. Uh, And not just generally, not just like some cannibalistic, unreached people group that's still out there. But who are the hardest people for you to share the gospel with? Is it not those who are the closest to you? Your immediate family? Your immediate neighbors? Or co-workers that you see every day? Or friends? Why is it that they seem to be the hardest to share the gospel with? That sometimes we could be so bold to get on an airplane and fly all the way to Haiti to a crazy nation and be bold to share the gospel there or go to Toronto and share the gospel there. But yet, sometimes the hardest people to share the gospel with are the people we share our homes with. Why is it? Because we all fear rejection. We all fear rejection. We don't want to tarnish the relationship. We don't want to be rejected by our family, our coworkers, our friends. We don't want to be rejected. Whether or not we've ever experienced rejection from them or from others, we still just have this fear of rejection. As a human, we crave acceptance. We want to be liked. That's what whole social media platforms are based on. How many likes you can get. We want to be uh, well thought of. We don't want to be the person who's the outcast, who's the crazy one in the family. We don't want to be the person at the office that no one wants to talk to. We want to be accepted. But perhaps we sometimes even idolize the idea. And we can tell by how much we are willing to share the gospel or how much we are willing to do or how much we are not willing to do. Do we idolize the idea of acceptance Do do we place that in such high regard that it transforms what we do and what we say in a moment or not? We must understand that if rejection is real and it comes true, what is it all about? If there is that time where you have shared Christ with a family member, you've had enough boldness that you get rejected, what is that rejection about? Or if you've been uh, bold enough or had enough courage to share with a coworker your testimony and, and talk to them about Christ. What is it? If there is ever rejection, what is that all about? And how does that rejection affect us? Because that fear of rejection is what keeps us from actually preaching the gospel in most cases. Here in Mark chapter 6, I want to read a portion of God's word for you. And we will see Jesus as rejected. Mark chapter 6. Beginning in verse 1, it says, He went away from there and came to his hometown, and his disciples followed him. And on the Sabbath he began to teach in the synagogue. And many who heard him were astonished, saying, Where did this, this man get these things? And what is the wisdom giving to, given to him? How are such mighty works done by his hands? Is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary, and the brother of James, and Joseph, and, and Judas, and Simon? Are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. And Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and among his relatives and in his own household. And he could not do mighty work there, except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. And he went about among the villages teaching, And then he called the twelve, and he began to send them out two by two, and he gave them authority over the unclean spirits. 
He charged them to take nothing for their journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their belts, but to wear sandals and to not put on two tunics. And he said to them, Whenever you enter a house, stay there until you depart from there. And if any place will not receive you, and they will not listen to you, when you leave, shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. So they went out and they proclaimed that people should repent. And they cast out many demons and anointed oil uh, with oil many who were sick and healed them. Here we see Jesus back in his hometown, Nazareth, a very spit in a bucket of a town, super small town. It's estimated from 100 to 500 people. It's a very, very small town, a town where he grew up as a carpenter. He was known. He would have likely built some of the furniture in some of the households of the people who had gathered there this day. And there on verse 2, it says, he, on the Sabbath, he began teaching in the synagogue and many who heard him were astonished. They were blown away. They, they were amazed at a few parts of who this man was. Firstly, his words. Where did he get these things? The things that he was saying, the teachings that he was expressing to them, where did he get them? How, he's a carpenter. He's not a trained uh, priest or scribe. Where did he get these words? They were astonished at his words because of the, the impact of his words, the truth of his words, the authority of his words. Where did he get them? The second thing they were astonished at, you see there in verse 2, was his wisdom. How is he so wise? How does he understand with such great depth? Where is this wisdom from? And the third thing they were astonished at and blown away by was his works. How are such mighty works done by his hands, it says, end of verse 2. How? How can such a man do so great a things, whether or not they had seen them or had just heard of them? It says, Many were astonished, not all, but many were astonished that day at his teaching. So how did they go from being astonished to now, in the following verses, utterly rejecting him? They they cast him off. They weren't ever converted, according to what is said here by this passage. How is it? Obviously, his family was, later on we know, and later maybe some did, but... In this circumstance, at this time, these people did not receive Jesus. They were astonished by him. They had some questions about his words and his wisdom and his works, but yet not enough to be transformed. Not enough for that astonishment to work its way into a belief, a receiving of who Jesus was and what he was actually saying. It's incredible to see what transpires here. They, they couldn't really understand him. They couldn't really explain him. So then they were offended by him. They took offense at him and they rejected him. Verse 3 then, it switches quickly from astonishment to now accusations, minimizing him, slandering him almost. Verse 3, is this not the carpenter? He's not a man of wisdom. He's a He's a worker of his hands. Is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary? Now, that's an odd phrase. 
Because in the early church and in this time period, to refer to someone by their mother's name was an insult. Even after a father had died, it was always, it should have been Jesus, the son of Joseph. But these people, to insult him, almost like you're an illegitimate child, your mother slept around, Jesus, the son of Mary, and the brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon, and are not his sisters here with us? And then it says, and they took offense at him. They were offended by him. And why is that? What, what could be so offensive about Jesus? Well, Romans 9, 9 tells us in quoting uh, Isaiah, it says, they have stumbled over the stumbling stone. As it is written, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. And whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. This is the stumbling stone. This is the rock of offense. The one who must be received. And instead, they were those who were hard of heart and rejected him. His words, his wisdom, his works were surface level. To them, and it never penetrated their hearts. They didn't get to such a place of amazement where they could embrace him for who he was. It was not just his message that was rejected, but he is the message. The good news is not just some article, it's not a story, it's not an account of a foreign object. It's a man, it's God in the flesh, it's Christ. He is the stumbling block. He is the one they are offended by because he is the message of the gospel. His death, burial, and resurrection is the offense. And so here they were offended at him. And so then he goes on in verse 4 and 5, a well-known verse where he says, A prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and his relatives and his household. And often we relate with that. We relate thinking, this is exactly me. This is why I fear rejection. Look, I've seen Jesus be rejected in his very hometown by his very family, by those who we grew up with. And, and we maybe take that on ourselves and we apply this verse to ourselves. This verse is not about you. This verse is about Jesus. And so the, the, the problem we get is when we begin to fear uh, the rejection is we begin to personalize it. My family will reject me. My coworkers will reject me. Is that the case? Are they rejecting you? Even if they did reject you, does it matter? No. They're rejecting your message, and your message is, is the man Christ Jesus. Incredibly sad, this situation. Verse 5 is one of the most sad verses so far in this book. This gospel according to Mark says, and he could do no mighty work there, except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. Incredible, because when they were thinking of the mighty work he was doing, they were thinking of healing, the healing of the sick. And it says, he did that. He healed a few people of some diseases, but that was not the mighty work that he had come to do. His teaching in the synagogue was not to accomplish the healing of a lame man's arm or legs or sight or back pain. That is not why he came. That is not the mighty works he came to do. It says, verse 5, he 
could do no mighty work there. The mighty work was to have to be received in their hearts instead of rejected for him to be received. Consider how hard their hearts were to reject him. It's a sad, sad verse. Verse 6 says, And he marveled because of their unbelief. They were astonished at him on the surface because of what they had seen or what they had heard. But he marveled because of the sickness and the sadness of their heart. Their sin had so plagued them that they could not see beyond this carpenter. They could not see beyond the son of Mary. They couldn't see. So he marveled at their unbelief. The very thing they needed to do to trust in him, to be free of their sin, to live life eternal. He marveled at their hard hearts. Consider unbelief. Why don't people believe? Why don't people trust? In John 8.45, Jesus says, Because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. It's so hard to take the truth sometimes. We don't like to be told we're wrong. We don't like to be accused. And so sometimes you might know this, that even as a Christian, if you are a vocal Christian, people know you're a Christian. Even in, This is especially true, I find, in a workplace is sometimes you repel people automatically. They just kind of stay away because they sometimes just feel a condemnation. You've never said a thing to them. But knowing that you're a Christian, sometimes people are just repelled. They just stay away. They, they're opposed to the truth. And you're a person who claims to know the truth, believe the truth, and live the truth. So they're repelled. That's what Jesus says. Because I tell the truth, you don't believe me. You, you're far from me. He marveled at their hardness of hearts and their unbelief. And then he moved on. Sad. It says at the end of verse 6, And he went about among the villages teaching. And then he sent out his disciples. Verse 7 and, and forward. He called the twelve and he began to send them out two by two. And he gave them authority over the unclean spirits. And he charged them. Uh, and interesting, also, this passage about the disciples going out and, and the life of, of almost seeming poverty he sent them out on. Not prosperity. But verse 8, he charged them to take nothing for their journey except a staff. No food, no bread, no bag, no money in their belts. Just faith. Go out in faith. Do not go out and try to impress people with what you have. But go out showing them that you are so dependent on me. He says, but wear sandals and don't put on two tunics. Just trust. And he said to them, whenever you enter a house, stay there until you depart. That was so that uh, if they were in an area and people heard there was a preacher in town, they could go to that house and say, where, instead of saying, where's the preacher today? Whose house is he at today? They knew whose house he was staying at or where the preacher was. That's why he said, stay put. But then, verse 11, this idea of rejection comes up again. But if they will not receive you, if they will not listen to you, then when you leave, just as Jesus left, when you leave, shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. It was a tradition of the Jews that when they would leave a Gentile town, 
a pagan town, people who did not believe in God, who did not trust in God, they would shake the dust off their feet. They didn't want to take any of that pagan land with them. They would shake it off as a testimony against the people saying, you are unclean, and they'd leave. So Jesus is telling them, when you're, you're in Jewish people's homes and they do not receive you and they will not listen to you, shake off your feet. Testify against them that they are pagans, that they're not believing. They've not received, they've not heard, they've not listened. So shake off your feet as a testimony against them. But what's interesting is here, it's not, again, that they uh, are not received. They weren't uh, likable people. They didn't have a great personality. They didn't have good uh, oratory skills. That wasn't the case. We're so concerned about how rejection will affect us. Well, how will I feel if my family thinks I'm the crazy one? Well, what would it be like at work for me if they know how, how much I love the Lord? We're, we're so concerned about how it affects us. But it's not that we are the ones rejected ultimately. Our life is here. We're but a breath, but a mist that appears for a while, then it's gone. Even if it was all about how it affected us, does that matter at the end of the day? What matters is that people hear and either receive or reject, but it's not us. It's our message, and our message is Christ and Him crucified for sinners like you, like me. That's the beauty and the power of a testimony. When we share, you don't have to uh, take Christ and say, you are a sinner only and you need to repent and you need to believe. We can go and say, let me tell you about how I am a sinner and how Christ pierced my heart because of my sin, convicted me that without him, I would spend eternity in hell for the punishment of my sin, for the wages of sin is death. And that was me. But God, by his grace, by his grace alone, I did not deserve it. I did not work for it. There's nothing I could do to earn it. But he came down and he rescued me. He saved me through his death, burial, and resurrection. And I, I want you to think about that. What is there to reject in you? Reject your story as hocus pocus? Sure. But how is that going to impact you? It won't. Like water off the back of a duck. Let it roll off. Shake your dust off your feet and carry on. Doesn't matter how it impacts us. It's the sadness of the, the result is, have they received or have they rejected Jesus? You see in the writings of the Apostle Paul, the anguish of his heart for people who, who rejected Jesus. He was torn in two when people rejected. He said, I would be willing to give up my own place in heaven, my own place with God. I'd be willing to go to hell so that they could live with God forever. He didn't care if he was rejected on earth or even in heaven for the sake of the soul of another person. May we be the same way. May we have the same uh, calling that Christ called his disciples here to, to go, to teach, to be uh, uh, faithful in our message. But if people will not receive and they won't listen, that's okay. Doesn't mean you give up eternally or forever, by the way. Maybe try a different approach. Try another time. Maybe it wasn't right. Maybe it's not you. But it's incredible because look at verse 12. It says exactly what they did. Even after he said, 
here's what's going to probably happen. You're probably not going to be received, but don't worry, it's not you, it's me. Verse 12, so they went out and they proclaimed. They proclaimed that people should repent. And then they cast out many demons and anointed many with oil. So the incredible thing is they, they said to people, you ought to repent, you ought to turn. Turn what? From sin? Yes. But did you know it is not sin that keeps a person out of heaven? The wages of sin is death. Because of our sin, we are owed uh, the torment and the wrath of God. But it is not sin that keeps us from heaven. It is unbelief. Sin does not keep us from heaven. Unbelief keeps us from heaven. Jesus was grieving over their unbelief. The very thing that kept them from knowing him and being forgiven for all of their sins. The very thing that keeps them from having life eternal. Jesus was grieved over their unbelief. They ought to repent of their unbelief. They ought to turn from their unbelief. And from there, lives are transformed to turn away from murder and lying and stealing and adultery and every other sin out there, gossip and slander. Mainly to turn from unbelief is what they were to repent of so they may be saved. That's what we need for all of eternity. When a person hears Christ, when we hear Christ, our, our response matters. We either receive him or we reject him. And if you have received Christ for all that he has done for you, that he is who he said he was, that he is God in the flesh, that he bore your sins personally, not just sin in general, not just sin for everybody else, but your sins, the ones you know and the ones you don't know, the, the wrong motivations of your heart, the idolization of the fear of man, whatever it is, he takes your sins upon himself and he bears the weight of it under God's wrath so that if you believe you can be free. When you receive that, then you are the person who then takes that to others and say, I want them to receive it too. So you either rejoice in the message or you reject the message and the message is Christ. When we rejoice with him, then we have the duty and the delight to take part in what the disciples did here in sharing the gospel with others and not being offended at the thought of rejection. They reject Christ and not you. And is that not worth it even to bear the reproach in our family, among our coworkers and friends? But that's the thing is it's hard to imagine and it's, it's easy to say, it's hard to do. It's hard to go to the ones nearest to you that you want to hold close and you don't want to ruin the opportunities and you don't want to tarnish the relationships. It's hard to tell them uh, how much they need Christ. But sometimes the most effective way to tell them how much they need Christ is tell them how much you need Christ. And not just one time, 10 years ago when you accepted him, how much you need Christ now, what he's doing for you now, and what he gives you hope for, for tomorrow. The most effective way for you to share Christ with those who trust you, who love you, who are near to you, is by sharing what Christ means to you. And just, just be so overwhelmed with your relationship with the Lord and so captivated by what he is for you and how wonderful and beautiful he is to you that they would say, why is he not that way for me? Why don't I feel that way? What is it about this person's love for the Lord? 
And they've, they've said it, and I've heard them talk about being changed by Him, being saved by Him, being forgiven by Him. Those are seeds that are planted in the heart of an unbeliever, someone who does not believe, who has rejected Jesus because of His words, His works, or His wisdom. But one day those seeds, when they, if and when they bear fruit, we will rejoice in that. So instead of being afraid of a rejection that may or may not ever happen, Let's share what Christ has done in us and for us and to us. And and then not be offended if we are not welcomed. Not be offended if we are uh, not listened to. We shake the dust off our feet and we try again another time. We share Christ because he is worthy. And unbelief is the most devastating thing that can impact your family, your friends, your coworkers. For them to be stuck in their unbelief and destined to bear the weight of their own sin is worth all the rejection in the world. There's so many times you'll hear a testimony of a person who has come to faith in their adult life and they say, I cannot believe that I I lived beside Christians my entire life and they would never tell me what I needed to do to be free. They were so afraid for some reason. We're so afraid of this potential rejection that we are unwilling to share what Christ has done for us and what he can do for others. Let's not, let let's that not be your neighbor or your family member. Don't let them get to a point where by God's grace they would be saved and they say, why did you never tell me? Or where they get to the point of death and you finally get to share with them. Don't let that be the case. Let us share Christ and what he's done in our lives now. Let us testify even at the cost of rejection because realizing we're not rejected, but he may be, and that is damning and sad. So may we be those who have the strength and the courage to do as the disciples did, to go about preaching repentance of unbelief with with boldness and courage because he alone is worthy. Let's pray. Oh, Father, you are so good to us. You are holy and perfect, and yet we are not. We are so far from you, and we have rejected you at every turn, and you are kind to us. That Christ came to save sinners of who we are the foremost. We're so grateful for your love, for the grace, because without grace, we could have never accomplished it. We could have never been forgiven, never freed, and so we thank you for the cross. Thank you for all that was done there. Pray that we would have courage, leaving this place today, we would have courage to share what you have done for us and in us. That we would want people to know why we love you. We would want them to know how it is that we are not so guilt-ridden and so hopeless, even while we still sin. Oh God, we are so thankful for your love and your grace. Would you send us out with the courage we need? Would you help us to slay the idol of the fear of man if that um, captivates us. And would, would we be the people who honor you from this moment until the rest of our lives, not only personally, but publicly as well, even at the cost of our lives. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.